to Engaging Culture, a podcast presented by Bridgeway Christian Church. I'm Brian Kiley, Director of Connections at Bridgeway, and today I am joined by my co-host, Senior Pastor Lance Hahn, where we will be discussing expectations. How much do expectations control how we feel about our lives? Is it possible that when we're prone to entitlement, that that negatively influences the way that we view our lives? How can we go about setting our expectations properly so that we can have lives more full of joy, hope, and good things God wants for us. These questions and more on this episode of Engaging Culture. All right. Hi, everyone. This is Pastor Lance Hahn. Uh, obviously, I have a cold, right? So I don't know if you can hear exactly all the same things I'm hearing, but we are going to be talking today about when unrealistic expectations ruin our lives. And obviously, that sounds super extreme. But really, here's why, here's why I say that and why we designed it that way. If we have an expectation of one thing, and it is inaccurate. We will judge everything by that standard. So let me give you an an, an example. Let's say I told you you were going to go on vacation and you were going on vacation and I'm going to get you a room. You show up to the room and it has one small bed and it has a toilet in the exact same room. And it was like not just a studio apartment. It was super tiny you would just feel like I've completely destroyed your life. I must not like you. I must not love you. Don't care about you. Your expectation was, I'm on vacation. My room should be awesome. If I told you you were going to prison (laughs) and you walked in and there was a single bed and a toilet in the same room, the expectation is, of course, this is how it's going to go. And all of a sudden, everything shifts. Your whole atmosphere shifts. Your expectation. All of a sudden, little things start to seem more valuable. Whereas if you have an entitlement view, if you have a view that says... I should be having fun here, this should be everything I desire, then you're going to be critical of anything that falls short of those expectations. So what this is not going to be is a podcast saying, if if you just give up all your expectations, (laughs) life is going to be awesome, right? Uh, Like I remember this one shirt I saw a long time ago. It says, ever since I've given up hope, I feel so much better. (laughs) And I was like, that's awesome. Amen. 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 So- Here's where I would like to begin, and I'm going to kind of guide this and throw a couple things back at you there, uh, Pastor Brian. Um, But I think that all of us are consistently attacked with the thoughts, why is my life so hard? Like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with it? We think that it should go smoothly, so when it doesn't, we assume something goes wrong. Uh, For example... Uh, let me give you another example. I'm full of examples today, right. apparently, because I had coffee. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, so I don't like to fly. Like, I think we're all pretty clear on that, right? So okay. I don't like to fly. Turbulence trips me out. And yet, when I'm on my boat, right? So I, uh, my father actually gave us a boat. I don't want anyone to think that I'm sitting there lavish with my God. Uh, I got a free boat, all right, folks? On your fleet of boats. On my fleet of boats, right. Uh, It's a little like a water ski boat type thing. When we're on the boat and we're driving along and you hit waves, it's part of the fun. There's supposed to be waves in water and the boat's supposed to go through it. So why shouldn't a plane be able to go through pockets of air because that's where you're at and have bumps and turbulence? Yet somehow my expectation was on the plane, it should be completely smooth. 
but yet my expectations in water is just because I can see the waves, I always expect bumps. So once again, we I keep using these same analogies to talk about the fact that all of a sudden we look in the mirror and we're like, man, how come I look like I, you know, something seriously wrong with me? Am I sick? What's going on? I'm not, I'm not young enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not wealthy enough, right? So we keep thinking something's askew, something's wrong. But what if it's not? What if that's how life is supposed to go? What if everything isn't supposed to be easy? What if really deterioration is a part of how things are supposed to go? Then shouldn't we be able to embrace it and walk through it at least without the extreme fear that something's wrong? So anyway, just right off the top, what are your what are your thoughts, Brian? Expectations are such a funny thing because on the one hand, you talk about sort of a glasses half full versus glasses half empty mentality. On the one, hey, let's just look at things positively, and I think looking at things positively is a good thing. Trying to put a positive spin on things, trying to be positive and upbeat about how things are going, but that's different than expectations. It seems different, and in the same way, pessimism. Oh, let's just you know, why bother with this new car I just want? It's probably just gonna break. Like you know that sort of thing. Like that's not really healthy either, but I also don't think that's the same as having low expectations. High and low expectations are not exactly the same as thinking positively versus thinking negatively. And it is interesting because I do think that oftentimes our dissatisfaction with how we look in the mirror, how things are going at work, how things are going in our marriage or with our families or with our kids and all of these different things – those aspects of our lives are hijacked by unrealistic expectations. They're hijacked by, well, we love each other, so that means marriage should be easy and simple and all of that. Like, that's just not true. Or, oh, well, raising kids is supposed to be a joy, so they should never stress me out or it should never be difficult. Well, that that's just not true. And it's just so fascinating to me if you – the way that you approach a situation makes such a dramatic difference in how you can – how, how you'll behave in that situation. Take marriage for an example. If you go into marriage believing it is going to be joyful and that part of the joy is the work involved, then when fights happen, when disagreements, when challenges, when money trouble hits, you're not going to be caught off guard by that because you'll just sort of realize, okay, this is what I signed up for and we can work our way through this situation together. And actually, in the long term, this may be something that strengthens our relationship. But if you go into marriage thinking, well, I found my soulmate, so everything should be perfect all the time and I don't need any relationship skills and we're all just going to love each other constantly, man, you're in for a you're, you're, you're in for a big disappointment and you might not be prepared to, to handle those, those hardships. So, and on the one hand, we think of high expectations as just thinking positively, but I just don't think that's true. Because unrealistic expectations can make us woefully unprepared to have joy in the midst of the realities, not just hardships, but just realities of life. Yeah. So when you first were talking about how they're different, I was trying to scramble in my mind and going, okay, so how are they different? And really, they're different um, realms. You can have low expectations, but a positive attitude. Yep. You can have high expectations and a pessimistic attitude. So the the attitude is how you engage with what you believe to be real, yep. right? So... Um, 
One of the things that I, right off the bat I want to kind of throw out there, and I know that you have a lot of thoughts on this, so I'm going to kind of leave a little bit more for you, is the issue of entitlement. Yeah. So um, once again, this I'm about to irritate everybody, so hold on, hold on. Uh, <laughs> give me a second. One of the things that has been most marked to the millennial generation is entitlement. And I was recently listening to a program and, and just listening to a millennial getting so angry that life wasn't working out well for them, that things weren't going well. Now, I think the millennial generation is just another generation of human beings wrestling with their example, you know, their the examples before them, the role models before them, dealing with real life. So I'm not, I don't have this negative, I think millennials bring in all the same level of problems that every other generation and all the blessings. I think that stuff that the millennial generation is operating in, some of it is so much healthier and some of it is so much more godly in my opinion. So I'm very, very pro uh, Generation Y and millennials and all that. Um, But I think that the way that our world is training people, and I don't know if it's through the marketing or the advertising or what it is, but whether it's this idea of the American dream or you can be anything, when you realize that life is difficult, when disappointment crashes in because entitlement says, I deserve better than this. Better should be coming to me. Mm-hmm. I deserve it. I, my problem with entitlement is not so much high expectations. My problem with entitlement is selfishness, narcissism. My problem with entitlement is that the world somehow is about you. And I think all of us struggle with entitlement to some degree. It's not just a millennial thing. It's an everybody thing. Totally. But but just at, for you to share a little bit with us, because I know that you've done a couple quotes even in preaching about entitlement. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about your thoughts on the, the power and the danger of entitlement. Absolutely. Entitlement is is in my view absolutely toxic and and I want to frame this because I think it's easy to say, well, with different maybe personality flaws or character flaws, it's easy to say, well, hey, uh, don't do this because it'll hurt other people. And that's true in a lot of cases. And that's true with entitlement. But the angle I want to take on entitlement to somebody to just to try to help them understand how devastating it is, entitlement hurts you more than it hurts anybody else. If I'm feeling entitled, that hurts me more than it hurts anybody else. And, and there's a few different angles to this. Number one, entitlement is an absolute joy killer. You can be joyful at what you have in your life or you can feel entitled. You can't have both. Mm-hmm. So I can decide, well, the things that I have, the job, the house, the you know family, whatever, material blessings, a relationship with God, spiritual blessings, I can feel entitled to these things or I can live joyfully thankful. Now, when I'm entitled, that might make me, you know, oh, well, I'm stressed out because things are broken, or I'm angry because things are broken, or I'm I'm annoyed because uh, maybe work is difficult or, or relationships are hard or whatever. I'm focusing on the negative and constantly feeling like I deserve more. Whereas if, I, if I'm taking the perspective, I'm actually not entitled to any of this. Right. That based on my own sinfulness and brokenness, I'm entitled to nothing. Yep. All of this is a blessing. 
So I can say, well, you know, my air conditioner is broken and that's a bummer and I've got to fix it, but I'm not entitled to a working air conditioner. That's right. right. (laughs) Like I'm the fact that I even have a house at all is better than I, better than I deserve. So, so, and I just find that for me again, like, does it have an effect on other people? Yeah. But for me, that is a, a healthier, more satisfying way to look at life, to realize I'm not entitled to any of this so I can be thankful for all of it. And then the other aspect of entitlement too is that oftentimes what is what is marketed to us is that success will be easy and fulfilling. Yeah. Success will be easy and fulfilling and and, and to, to break those down briefly success will be easy. In a social media culture which I'm not against social media, enjoy social media a lot, we see the highlights. That's fine. Like we might see, so we even sharing on our Bridgeway Facebook page, at the end of every weekend, we share a quote from the message. So we'll see a big picture of you, Lance or Parnell or me, whatever, with this great quote from the sermon that's inspirational. So all that anybody ever sees is you up on stage doing your thing, rocking it, having a good time, preaching the word and all that. Nobody sees the struggle behind the scenes. Nobody sees, you know, stressing out on a Saturday morning, like, oh boy, is this, you know, God, what am I even doing? And all this other stuff, just the stuff that we go through right. to prepare a message. And that's fine. We're not supposed to see behind the scenes, but all people see is the finished product and it looks easy. You see the actor, actress, you see the athlete, you see the business tycoon, you don't see the behind the scenes. So we think that success is easy. And then also we think that it's going to be ultimately fulfilling. Mm -hmm. I remember hearing this crazy story several years ago about um, a Super Bowl winning quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, and how he got in, started to get involved in more sort of social justice causes. I, th- I forget if it was domestic or international, but serving with underserved populations after he won the Super Bowl because he realized, man, this is the culmination of my entire life. And I just found myself looking for what's next. Mm. So the, this idea that like, if I achieve a certain amount of success, I'll be ultimately fulfilled. Right. It's just like pursue stuff. That's great. Yep. But just recognize if you feel entitled to it, if you feel like it's going to wholly complete you, man, you're in for disappointment. But if you can just kind of say, hey, I, I don't deserve any of this, anything that comes my way is a blessing, then you'll really be able to, to get the most out of it. I'll tell you one thing that seems to really rock entitlement is missions work, uh, yeah. being in other countries. So, for example, I live a lot of my life thinking, you know who doesn't have what I have? Most everybody. Like every time I get in the show, and I'm not kidding, this is literally thoughts in my head. Now, there's some things that I wish I was more Christian y, and I was like, you know, <laughs> ooh, and it was all like a magic picture. I'm really not like that. I'm pretty, pretty normal guy. But this happens to be one of those things that's real, and I, I think it's primarily due to my personality. Mm-hmm. So I'm not taking credit for it. But when I get in the shower, most times I'm thankful that I have hot water. And the reason why is that I know people that don't. Yeah. I've been in other countries where things are not wealthy. Um, the idea that you would go over and they're saying, listen, clean running water, that's a big deal to me. It's very hard to feel entitled when everyone else has less. Totally. But when you only watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians, <laughs> you know understand what I'm saying? If you only watch um, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, if you only watch um, you know, all the biggest stars and the brightest things in entertainment, television, and it looks like everyone has more than you, 
in Tideman, it's very easy oh, yeah. to lock in because you're going, I don't even have what they have. So even if I kick it down a notch from the superstars, I still should have this. Right. If I go through college, I should get a job. If I do that, I should have this. No, none of that is a guarantee. All yeah. of it is a gift. And so trying to walk through that, I think, begins to adjust. All right, so let, sure. let's shift for a moment. All right. Is life supposed to be hard? Is life supposed to be difficult? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an example. I was reading a, a, an article from a doctor, and he's an internist. So I don't know why that matters. But anyway, he's an internist. He's not an anesthesiologist. You're going to find out in the story. His name is Dr. Alex Lickerman, and he wrote an article called The Danger of Having Unrealistic Expectations. He talked about his wife's experience of having their baby. The anesthesiologist who was serving her tried to be sweet and kind when explaining the pain after an epidural block. I'm reading some thoughts that I had on here. She said, you may have a little pressure when you're having the labor, right? Meaning I'm going to give you drugs. It's all going to be good. And it's only going to be a little bit of pressure. After 36 hours of calm and easy labor, he said, the pain started to hit. The anesthesiologist adjusted the meds as high as possible. Nevertheless, the pain skyrocketed. And the anesthesiologist ultimately admitted to his wife, there's nothing else I can do. He said the last five hours of labor were a nightmare. She ultimately just had to buckle down and handle it. And here was his whole point. Although the physical scenario of having the child would have been the same either way, the problem was getting set up for no pain, then getting severe pain. It made them panic and react. It would have been far better to know that it was coming and that it was normal. All right. So the pain's the same. The experience is vastly different. Yep. If there's an expectation that I shouldn't have any pain, then what's wrong with me? Why is so much pain coming in? Is yep. there something wrong with my body? Is there something wrong with the baby? And all of a sudden, all the, the panic wasn't necessary. Now, obviously, the anesthesiologist had a good heart. Right. They don't want to walk in and go... This is going to be the worst day of your life, right? I mean, that's not nice either. Right. Um, but saying, listen, childbirth is painful. It's not going to last forever. But giving them some type of understanding of what's normal, right? Uh, quick thoughts on that story. Dead air. That's Those are my thoughts on the story. <laughs> was, those are, those are my excellent. thoughts on the Okay, so... Uh, Question. Would you consider yourself something of a people pleaser? Oh, for sure. Yes. Me too. Absolutely. So I want to make people happy. Yes. And that's one of the hardest parts of leadership is disappointing people sometimes. All but the time. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's, it is what it is. Here, here's the thought I'm trying to get, get in my, my head is, or get kind of put some words around, is just the idea of over-promising and under-delivering. Right. That, that to me is the worst scenario to be in. Like if I'm going to have to disappoint someone, that's a bummer regardless. But I find myself using this expression probably on a weekly basis with people that come to me with questions where I maybe I'm not totally sure what the answer is immediately or if they want to do something or some resource they're looking for or, or whatever the case may be where I don't have an instant answer. I'm constantly using this expression. I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. So da 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 da. And what am I doing? I'm I want to deliver 100%, but I'm setting low expectations so that people aren't 
counting on a certain a certain item, a certain situation that I'm not sure I can deliver. So I always want to be very careful to be realistic with people about saying, here's the situation, here's what's going on, here's what I think I can do, or even here's what I'm going to try to do, but I can't promise it. Because I just, the situation of the anesthesiologist of, hey, here's how it's going to be, and it's so much worse, like, that's tough. Well, and here's how much you are that guy. Because I've teased you (laughs) since the beginning, and I do it too, so I'm allowed to tease you about it. You're qualifier guy. Yep. You are, before you say anything, you put in 13 different qualifications Uh so that it's not wrong. Right, yep. and I and I don't know how much of that is just fear of being wrong, <laughs> or whether or not it's just uh, trying to set expectations for people. But I do the same thing. It's yep. the idea of going. I want your experience to be better than you anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think there's some manipulation in that because we're people pleasers. We're trying to make them have a great experience. Right. Where we're kind of, you know, I want you to taste this bread. I'm sure it's okay. And we know it's awesome, <laughs> you know, because we want people to have the wow factor and look at us and go, oh, that was so much better than I thought. Right. Um, but I do think that there is something healthy about telling people what is right, what oh, is yeah. true? What is honest? And here's my my big challenge. So um, I wrote a second book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first book was about anxiety and panic disorder, and that was, um, you know, Mastering the Art of Freaking Out, right? How to Live in Fear. The second book is called The Master's Mind, and, 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 and in that, it was talking about having the mind of the Lord. I talk about two big lies that we are fed by the world around us. And when I say the world around us, I don't mean like everything that goes on around the world around us is bad. I don't believe that at all. I think, honestly, there's a brilliant, wonderful thing. I'm not anti-society or culture. Totally. Obviously, that's why we have this podcast. But I will say that the marketing and advertising, which I grew up under, now, every, there's been marketing and advertising since the dawn of time, right. I think. That's not new. I think the bombardment and my access to it through TV and media has been way bigger than it was before. You usually had to wait for the snake oil salesman to ride his carriage <laughs> into town to manipulate you, right? Yeah. Or you had to go to the store. We have open portals, radio, TV nowadays, you know, or podcasts and online and all that stuff. We have open portals where people have access to manipulate us. Totally. Because that's their job. Right. They're advertisers. Okay, so here's my problem. There's two big lies that I think, and I think you touched briefly on them earlier, but I'm just going to recap them. There's two big lies that we get from advertising today. Number one, and they're both linked together. Number one is more is better. And number two, satisfaction is possible. More is better and satisfaction is possible. And here's what I, here's why it bothers me. The idea that you can get more and that's somehow going to satisfy you actually violates how God set up our system. So, for example, when we eat, I don't know how many meals I tend to eat a lot. All right. So, I don't know how many meals I leave going, I never want to eat again. <laughs> like, I just, I just ate so much food. I'm never going to want to eat again. Now, what's the reality? The reality is, is we're built on a cycle right. to where we utilize that up and then we are empty again, like a gas tank. Same thing about thirst. But what we don't realize is that's the same thing about fun, the same thing about sex, the same thing about everything that fills us at one moment will ultimately void out and we have to start over again. Yep. When you are promised that something is going to be lasting, it is a lie 
based on reality of cycle, right? The very concept of cycle means you have ups and downs. It means you are full and empty. It means that things are bumpy and roller coastery. Yep. So when we are promised fulfillment's right around the corner, it's just one item away. All you got to do is send now, right? Nine ninety nine. We'll send a <laughs> set of steak knives, right? There's no satisfaction in this world. I believe that, and we're going to talk a lot, a little bit later about contentment. I think that's true, mm. but satisfaction is in the hands of God. I don't believe that satisfaction is possible in this life. Thoughts? Right. More is better for a moment. I mean, but by its very nature, more is better for a moment. I, I get a little ping of, I for, I don't forget what the chemical is, if it's serotonin or adrenaline or whatever. Something awesome. When, when, I, when I click buy now in one click on Amazon, that does give me a little feeling of, ooh, uh, hey, this is a fun, euphoric boost. Right? And then it comes in the mail and, oh, hey, for a little while, I'm excited. But it's so funny. I've had to even do this with myself is just sort of realize like if I'm excited about buying something or excited about coming in the ma- something coming in the mail. And I just have to remind myself, hey, a moment's going to come really soon where this thing is no big deal. Where I'm not that excited about it, you know? Yeah, so, you look back at why aren't you so excited about the stuff right. in your closet? Exactly. Yeah. Like there was a time... <laughs> When the shirt I'm wearing came in the mail and I was all excited to get it and everything else. And now you know what it is? It's just a shirt. Yep. And I'm only wearing it for the first time. So there you go. It shows you how fast that fades away, right? So so the idea that 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 long-term contentment by acquisition. Right. Acquiring is fine. It's just we can't count on it to do that for us. It's not going to give us the dopamine dope. Right. Uh, uh, dump. Whoa, <laughs> dopamine dope. Dopamine that was dope. terrible. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It won't give us that either. It won't give us that either. Um. So I want to I want to turn the corner a little bit on this stuff and talk about what I call the me trap. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so I the way that I focus my thoughts a lot is by writing. I write things in book form. So I'll talk a lot about oh I'm writing a book on well is it ever going to be published? No, no, it's not <laughs> going to be published. Um, I write manuscripts because that's how I organize my thoughts. Well, one of the manuscripts that I worked on rather extensively was called "It's Not About Me, It's Not About You." And it actually is trying to recenter a Christian that this universe is about God. Mm-hmm. It can't be about me to where the, uh, it's self-centered, right? Yeah. I'm building my kingdom. Everybody is for my consumption. Um, you only exist insofar as you bless me. Yeah. That's actually God's alone. So he is the center of the universe and everything goes around him. But at the same time, it can't be about you. I can't find my identity in what you say to me. I can't find my fulfillment in what you do for me. Mm-hmm. That's not appropriate either. Human beings, me, you, we're not what it's all about. This grand story is about God. So once again, if you have that expectation that it's really his story to tell, suffering makes more sense for human beings. Right. It resets what is really going on. Uh, for example, you know, we talk about uh, how does hell make sense? Hell does not make sense if it's man-centered. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it just seems like a ferocious, bizarre, weird thing, which I still wrestle with hell anyway. Sure. Even with a good perspective, I still wrestle with it. Yeah. If it's God-centered, it makes more sense. Suffering is brutal. It's completely bizarre if it's man-centered. If this universe is God-centered... It makes sense. And it goes on and on and on. So I think the the me trap is that we disconnect and put the wrong person on the throne. We put the wrong person in the center, and then the rest of the fairy tale doesn't make any sense. Totally. And, and much like with entitlement, 
I think it's it's easy to say, well, you know, Lance, it's not about you. You shouldn't make it all about you. We can use right. that sort of language as if, hey, I know this is what you really want, but you shouldn't do that because it's wrong. Now, on some level, that's true. But we can look at this in the same way, whereas I might, you know, say to my kids, like, hey, uh, you shouldn't play on your Kindle for four hours straight because you will not learn to interact with other humans or whatever. All they can see is, hey, I want to play on my, this is what I really want, but you're telling me, okay, I need to nod because I need to grow as a human or whatever. That's not the sort of mentality I think we need to have with this. What's my point? My point is that for life to not be about me is actually a great relief. Because if I think life and the world and the universe and everything is about me, I'm going to be miserable. So for God to say, actually, the universe is about me because I'm the only one who can handle the universe being about him. That's God, not me, me. Yeah, right. Just to be clear. That is a great relief that I don't have to live a me-centered life. That is actually an invitation from God to say, no, 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 I'm rescuing you from the misery that comes from making life about you. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Here's what it triggered in my mind. I've always been fascinated by personality tests. And then after I took one billion of them, I found out they're (laughs) all the same. So the most simple one that I've always gone with is old school. Uh, It it breaks people down. All of them break people down into four categories. Uh, The ones that I like, and they're a little bit unusual now, but uh, phlegmatic, sanguine, melancholy, choleric. Now, Mm -hmm. I don't want to get into all those other than simply saying this. We're familiar with melancholy personalities. Those are the people that are kind of up and down. Yeah. The emotional ones, the the little Eeyores of the world. Mm -hmm. The reason why they tend towards depression is because they are idealists. They are romantics. They uh-huh. see the world as it could be, and it never is. So there's great disappointment. They are very, very loyal. They live in a world where things could be full and complete and satisfying, but then they fall short. The disappointment factor... Uh, so once again, I'm just it's just highlighting the same thing that you said. When your expectation is everything should go well for you, if your expectation is love should always be full and complete, if your expectation is everyone serves me and then they don't, dang, that's disappointing. Yeah, that's a rough life for sure. Um, okay, another another quick piece to this, and you you addressed it at the very 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 beginning. So let's let's jump back to that for a moment. Um, the comparison trap. Yep. Right? Where we are always looking at everyone else, and nowadays we have the ability to filter, right? So online stuff is all filtered. Yep. And so um, in the same way you were mentioning before, um, I, I got to give us this example. So I had, there's a there's a young lady here at our work, right? Mm-hmm. She she works in our kids' weight department. And we got on this conversation, super weird, about cutting fruit, okay? <laughs> this is totally <laughs> dumb. Now, she is super artsy, and she's brilliant at all the stuff that she does. Well, she starts talking about, you know, I, I cut watermelon and blah, blah, blah. So me, I love talking trash, right? <laughs> I love I love messing with other people's heads. It's Indeed. super fun. And so I ended up talking to her, and I was like, hey, you know what? Because this becomes competitive for me. It becomes fun. Right. I go, I'm the only one that knows how to cut watermelon. I cut perfect cubes. Right now, here's what's funny about it. I am very artistic and I am a little OCD. So (laughs) I am really good at cutting watermelon. And so I ended up texting her a step-by-step process 
of me cutting watermelon just to mess with her, just to <laughs> irritate her day. And, I, and they were in perfect cubes. Here's my point in that whole story. In all of those pictures I sent her, not one showed all the pieces I throw away. Not one showed the mess. Not one. You don't understand what I'm saying? Everything I presented to her looked like it went from chaos to order without mm-hmm. any mess. That is how everybody is coming across online these days. Yep. They are showing none of the mess and all of the results. Right. So talk, talk a little bit about your heart like, about this whole comparison and, challenge. And to be clear, that's fine because that's what it's for, right? Social media is for the highlights. So there's nothing wrong with me share. I went on a big hike the other day, me sharing a picture from the summit and not sharing a picture of me ready to collapse 20 minutes before the summit, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's for the highlights where it becomes problematic is where, when we as observers look at what we see online and think, Oh, that just must be their everyday life. It's, it's not, it's the highlights. So we celebrate the highlights, uh, but we don't need to assume that their life is like that. Cause when we do, it creates envy in us, which is super unhelpful. And then it also creates, I think some self-loathing and condemnation of just realizing, man, I'm not, Oh gosh, I'm, you know, my life is so lame. I heard another guy say once we compare people's highlights with our behind the scenes. And that's, and that's, that's, that's a problem. It's totally inappropriate. What I love so much about what you said is you go, that's what it's for. Okay, now that's a reset of expectations. Yeah. If you look at online media for what it's for, highlight reel. Yeah. Okay, so I will tell you this. You know, um, growing up, when I was growing up, uh, a thing started called Sports Center. (laughs) I've heard of it. I don't know if you've ever heard of ESPN, (laughs) but anyway. what I the highlight reel. Uh-huh. Now, there's always been highlight reels and stuff, but what happened was they became the dominant piece where yeah. you only saw highlight reels over and over and over and over and over. Even the yep. ticker that goes along the bottom is only the highlight. Yep. And so I remember I did this, and, and I, it wasn't even that many years ago. I wanted to try to make good use of YouTube. So I was like, you know what? I was not into basketball until the Sacramento Kings got good. Uh-huh. I don't know if you remember that. That actually happened I, I, I one time. I do recall that. It's okay, a long time yeah. Ago. No, no, dude, yeah. Don't get me wrong. We failed <laughs> without getting the ring. But all I'm saying is there was one time in history when the Sacramento Kings were good. Anyway, if you remember back then, Eric, that's when I first got into basketball, watching it consistently. Prior to that was really the Michael Jordan era. Right. I missed it. Uh huh. So I went back and I was going to try to watch on YouTube Michael Jordan playing because uh-huh. I missed it and uh-huh. I wanted to see it. You know what? It's kind of boring. Here's why. His highlight reel is way more awesome. Like, if you watch his highlight reel, it makes it seem like all he does is magic every day. He always jumps a million feet. He always slams the ball. He always hits the jumper from three-point. He always... You know what I mean? Yeah. And so when I watched a reel, there's a lot of running around. Right. That's called basketball. If you want to reset your expectations, it's a real basketball game, and he didn't make... 100% 100% field goal percentage. Yeah. It was high, but it's not 100. Behind all of that success is hours and hours and hours of grinding, 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 grinding to get to that moment. It's not like he just lived this constant highlight real life. And it's right? it, anyway, so that's what I'm saying is that we've really been baked in highlight reel, totally. right? Um, okay, so let me let me shift one more time on this piece. And that is unrealistic expectations and disappointment with other people. So 
So give me an example. I was reading an article uh, by Bill McRae on Bible.org. It was called Managing Expectations, Building Strong Relationships at Home, at Church, and at Work. I want to give credit where credit is due. Yeah. Um, his whole point was the number one need to do premarital counseling is to set expectations appropriately. Yep. And it's not that you're going to learn anything brilliant. It's that everybody's going to get on the same page and go, hey, there's supposed to be difficulties. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about marriage in one moment. But what he said was, when we poorly manage expectations of other people, like what they're supposed to bring to the table, yep. then either one of four negative emotions happen, right? So if people let us down, we get two options, anger or sadness. Right. If we let them down, we get anxiety or shame. All that's messed up. The most helpful thing, he said, is to express our expectations in advance, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to be working with you like I do so closely, Mm -hmm. we try to set expectations as you were talking about before. Hey, I don't want to overpromise and underproduce. We try to set expectations so that you don't feel like a failure when it messes up, and I'm not always disappointed in your work product as your boss, right? That kind of thing. All right. So what I wanted to do was jump in. What are some unrealistic expectations that we have on people around us? The first one, spouse and marriage. Here's here's the biggest thing that I've learned about marriage. Mm -hmm. Marriage was not designed for bliss. It was designed for transformation. Yep. If your expectation is, I got into marriage to make things better for me, easier for me, and fulfilling, you'll get divorced. Mm -hmm. Because it's actually not what it's for. Marriage was designed that God was going to use your spouse as the number one chisel to shape you into his image. That means hardship's part of it. Frustration is part of it. Agitation is part of it. Disruption is part of it. Because God is more interested in your holiness than your happiness. Yep. So start talking to me a little bit about thoughts uh, on that. Yeah. So it makes me think of uh, Gary Thomas, who's written a lot of great material on dating and marriage and all of that stuff. Sacred marriage. I mean, the whole tagline of the book, I mean, I think you've read it or at least you're familiar with it. What if marriage is meant to make you holy, not happy? Or that might not be the exact line, but the idea that, that holiness is more important than your happiness. And that's such an important perspective to have. Cause you talk about, you think about, um, okay, marriage, your spouse is meant to be a chisel. Uh, chiseling does not work if there's not some friction and some some challenges. So so even you know, just something I try to do even in my own marriage, and I have a great marriage. My wife is awesome. We get along great 98.7% of the time, you know, is just to be able to see, okay, when things aren't going well, even if it's a situation where I think, man, I think I'm more in the right here than not. To try to look at a situation that is challenging and realize, okay, in this moment, the person who knows me best, it's my wife, God is using her to refine me in this moment, to be able to see a blind spot that I haven't been able to see, to to shine some light into an area of my life that maybe I was in denial in or I was unaware of or whatever, a character flaw or an issue in me that needs to improve. And who knows how many other people are being affected by it. Now, am I always able to do that in the emotion of a tense moment? Not necessarily. I don't want to make it sound like I'm some robot or something. But that's the perspective I try to take to, to be able to listen to her, to hear her heart, to hear, hey, here's 
what you're doing that's bothering me, you know, as she's saying that. And just to kind of realize, gosh, man, I think she's right about that. Like that, okay, she has a point there to realize I'm not doing what I need to do in this area. And that's where a fight or a disagreement is not, oh my gosh, wait, what, what happened to the fairy tale? I thought things were supposed to be perfect. It's me realizing, no, actually on some level, this is what marriage is for. And if I'm healthy about it, we're going to do this work to work through this conflict and it's going to save us from conflict in the future. And I'm going to be a better husband, better pastor, better father as a result. So it's not a crisis. It's an opportunity. Oh, no, brilliantly said. And and it's not, it's not just in marriage, our expectations of other people and friends. So... If you have a couple couple analogies, one of them is I, I think that our marriages today, with the expectation they're supposed to be our everything, I think mm-hmm. those are failing and it's causing a high divorce rate. Yep. I think it's, you should be, you know, my spouse should be my therapist, they should be my lover, they should be my best friend, they should be my golfing buddy, they should be my, you know, yep. and we go on and on and on. That's not realistic and that's going to crush you. Yep. But even think about friendships. If you look at everyone and say, you're supposed to be my best friend, you're supposed to be my everything, right. that kind of, you complete me kind of idea, <laughs> right? It's unrealistic. It's not appropriate. That's not what friendships are for. Right. So even in Susie and I, our life, uh, my wife, we look, instead of trying to find the perfect couple to hang out with, we look for life-giving people. Yeah. Is someone life-giving? Okay, that's a very different expectation. Then we can appreciate them for who they are and go, wow, they're beautiful, right. as opposed to critique. Yeah. Well, how come you didn't do this? How come they didn't do this? But it's the same thing with our kids, yep. same thing with every church that we go to, right? I always look at everybody that comes up and you know, gives me a compliment. And you go, mm, I'm glad you like me now. <laughs> you might not like me later. So, um, And also at our job. I right. think that we we need to have some type of realistic expectation expectations of what our job is supposed to be. Okay. One point I think on on all of that is that we contrast maybe what's beautiful with what's messy and we see them as opposites. I don't think that's always the case. The beauty that we experience in so many things of, in life come from fighting through the mess. Your marriage is richer now than it was 10, 15 years ago because you and your wife have fought through more life together, right? Uh, Your job, your church, there's something like the beauty is not the opposite of the mess. The beauty is found in fighting through the mess together, growing in that, growing in the beautiful things that come from the challenges and then being able to enjoy the beauty of having worked through difficult things. So, so, so often we hit challenges in relationships and friendships and marriage and work, and we just quit. Oh, this is too hard. What we don't realize is that on the other side of that mountain, so to speak, is beauty, is richness, is life-giving relationship, but that doesn't come without challenge. Yeah, no, well said, well said. So what do we do about all this, right? I mean, it's not like we're going to give the, here's three steps on how your whole life is easier. But I think that there are a couple things we can do. I'm going to kind of highlight a couple of these. Cool. One of them is shifting our orientation, right? This is what we've been talking about the entire time. Rethinking what's the goal of life? What's the purpose? Why are we here? What's success? Um... Like, for example, I've always said that, to me, success is obedience to God, nothing more, nothing less. If you're obedient, it is success, because that's what we're here for. We are here for the glory of God in relationship with Him. If that is the case, all other expectations have to adjust, Yep. right? 
the second thing I think that we need to focus on is joy beyond our circumstances, right? Now, you and I have talked about this offline a little bit. Mm-hmm. Some personalities, it's easier, right? <laughs> I, we, you and I are a little bit more bouncy and optimistic about stuff. So right. joy beyond circumstances, we kind of think through and always try to look for the best, and that's our DNA wiring. Some people, that is not at all. Totally. Melancholies really, really wrestle. Yeah. Um, but I also think that there's a spiritual maturity factor. I do believe that growth in the Lord, abiding in Christ, having a lens of Christian hope does shift our joy to be bigger than our current circumstances. Mm-hmm. Happiness is current circumstance. Joy yeah. is deeper, right? Yeah. Right? And then I think this is one I'd like to hear you speak a little bit about, mm-hmm. and that's the character factor, okay? Which you, you shared with me the other day that one way to orient life is to say, who do I really want to be? Yeah. So tell me a little yeah. bit about that. Is so much of our lives is spent, if we're not careful, it's spent reacting. Something happens and boom, I react to the situation based on whatever, whatever, whatever I'm feeling in the moment. I just think life goes so much better for us if we th- are able to think long term and think, what kind of life do I want? And then make decisions in the moment based on that. Because what that gets us away from, and this is a concept I'm so, I, I, I'm so passionate about, is it gets us focused on behaving based on what is wise, not based on what I can justify. So if, if I feel like I've been slighted by you, for example, I might feel justified in slighting you in return. But if I'm thinking to myself, well, what kind of relationship do I want with Lance? Well, I want us to be friends. I want us to have a high degree of trust. I want us to get along and all this, all of this stuff. Then I might, then I would say, wait a second, does slighting him in return get me to that objective? No. Oh, but I can justify it because he's slighted me. Who cares? It doesn't matter that I could justify it. It's not wise. So if the life I want is a life of friendship and relationship, then maybe I come to you and say, hey, man, I felt this slight in this situation. Maybe I'm overreacting, but let's just work through it and we can work through it and then it's, then it's fine. Same in a marriage, same in a friendship, same in anything else. Looking forward to what kind of life do I want and behaving in the moment based on that. And that's hard to do in emotional situations, but I, I believe it's just, it's a matter of training and in a matter of maturity. If we can train ourselves up to think in that way, we'll be able to think in that way more often and more naturally in, in kind of the more intense moments of life. We were just in a meeting the other day with pastor and bishop and friend, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Parnell Lovelace. And he said, I don't think critical thinking is trained anymore. Yeah. Remember he was talking about yeah, it. And, he was. and really the way that he was describing critical thinking is keeping the big picture in mind. Totally. It's exactly what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. So to land this plane, here's, here's the third piece. Uh, if the first two pieces were shifting our orientation, the second one was joy over circumstance. The third one would be the secret to contentment. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to read a couple verses as we kind of wrap this thing up. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Paul said, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, for I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In the same way, he said in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can't take anything out of the world. If we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So 
the spiritual discipline of contentment is keeping a big picture in mind. It is a matter of saying, listen, I've had a ton and I wasn't any happier. It's kind of trying to look with wisdom and have this lens over life of going, really? Is the TV commercial real? It's not. (laughs) Adjusting, adjusting, and being able to say, you know what, Lord, if I have you, you're the biggest thing. If I have you, I have more than enough. And and not not saying it in a religious-y kind of refrigerator magnet way. This is what I'm supposed to say. Yeah. Or, yeah. Owning it. Yeah. Seeing everything as a gift. Have it, the, the secret to contentment is realizing stuff doesn't satisfy. Right. That's the secret. Improving our circumstances and wanting to improve them in any area of life is, is fine. Like that, Absolutely. You know, we're, we're not you masochists should. here. But to realize joy transcends circumstance, that joy is outside of circumstance. So important. So uh, what's the last word, Lance? Give it to us. The last word <laughs> is this life is designed for transformation and a walk with Jesus Christ. And if we make it about something other than that, it's sure going to be disappointing. I'll tell you that. Amen. All right. Well, thanks so much, everybody, for joining us on episode four of the Engaging Culture podcast. Uh, If you've been watching online or even if you're not, we put the articles we referenced in the comment section of the live video so you can find them on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Bridgeway Christian. We will be back with episode four uh, or episode five, excuse me, in two weeks. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Engaging Culture, a podcast by Bridgeway Christian Church. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. Music is used under the Creative Commons license and is provided by Dexter Britton.